Welcome to our series on Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians series called Grow. We're going to work our way through this book and see how this applies to our lives and let it be a blessing for us. When I was, when I was little, um, I guess I'm revealing, a, I don't know, something about myself that might make you laugh, but I used to collect bugs when I was little. And I, was, I uh, had all kind of bug collections, and when I would find caterpillars, I would usually try to grab them and put them in a jar and, and see if I could watch them spin their cocoon and, you know, change into a beautiful butterfly or moth or something like that. And once um, I found this big, gigantic green caterpillar, and I, I was pretty sure from the studying that I had done that this, that this would turn into one of those huge, beautiful moths, so I was very excited. And so I got the, ca- the caterpillar, and I grabbed a bunch of leaves from... Um, the tree that I found it on, I put it in there, put a nice stick and all that kind of stuff in there, and I watched that caterpillar eat and eat and eat on those leaves and um, throughout the summer, and then somewhere in the middle of the summer, the caterpillar, as I thought it would, spun a cocoon, a brown cocoon. I woke up one morning, and there it was in a cocoon, all covered up. And so I got excited, and I watched that thing every day, and I waited, and I waited to see uh, what it would turn into and what would come out of that cocoon. And I was pretty sure I knew what would, but I was excited about it. But summer came, summer went, nothing happened. And then fall came, and month after month passed by, and that same brown cocoon was still there, and it, it started getting more gray and just more dead-looking, and, and my hopes of anything coming out of that were pretty much beginning to be gone. And it just kind of sat there on a shelf in my room. Well, fall came, fall went, winter came, winter went, and now the thing just looked like this dried-up dead stick, but I kept it in my room, and, and there it was. And, but I, all hope of anything coming out of that was long gone. And so now it was just kind of some ugly decoration in my room. Well, spring came, and in the middle of, somewhere in the middle of spring, late spring, I was uh, Saturday afternoon, I was out doing something, I was gone, and my mom decided to do some spring cleaning for the day, and she was going to, she had finally decided, I'm throwing that nasty thing out when I get into Joel's room. So uh, she, get in the, she got in the room doing her cleaning, expecting to throw that thing out, and when she came up to that thing, she found a huge, beautiful cecropia moth spreading its wings in that jar. And it took her back because this thing was alive. It was beautiful. It was alive after all those months. After all that, that hard winter, it was alive and growing and spreading its wings. It was a beautiful thing. I want you to keep that image in mind as we begin looking at the church in Thessalonica, which is who this letter has been written to. So I want to talk a little bit about um, the city of Thessalonica. So we can get a little bit, before we go into uh, the book or the letter to the Thessalonians, let's talk a little bit about the city of Thessalonica. Um, Thessalonica back in those days was, would have been a very well-known city. You would have known something about it no matter where you live. Maybe like you know something about Montreal or Vancouver. It was a large city, 200,000 people, very important Roman city. So a lot of Roman officials lived in the city of Thessalonica. And um, it was a very strategic location 
because it was located right on the Via Ignatia, which was the major Roman road, their 401 or whatever that connected everything, that connected everything in Rome. So on one end of the city of Thessalonica, you have this arched gate on the west side and you have this arched gate on the east side, both um, parts of the Via Ignatia, the, the Roman way, this Roman road. And so it was a very important road, very strategic uh, way to move military fast across the Roman Empire. It was also a harbor city, very important um, sea trading harbor. It had a good harbor, so the Roman Navy was there as well. And so this was a very busy city, um, filled, Thessalonica was filled with people from all over the Roman Empire. All kinds of people from all kinds of countries and backgrounds um, coming through Thessalonica. It was a thriving city, a busy city, seaport city, um, all kinds of people there. So um, the majority of them would have been native Macedonians who worshipped the Greek gods, the Greek pantheon of gods who they believed lived in um, nearby Mount Olympus. But you had people from all over. So it's a thriving, busy city. Um, it, it busy trading, people flowing in there from all around the world. Um, so you would have streets um, filled with shoppers, Roman officials, uh, military personnel, Greek and Jewish merchants, and of course, crooks and, and thieves who were attracted by the, uh, the temptations of a big city. It was into this great city that the gospel of Jesus took root as a result of Paul's mission work, the Apostle Paul's mission work there. And it was to the congregation then that was gathered in this city that Paul wrote two letters. So now the backstory, the backstory of how he got to Thessalonica. Paul didn't get to, Thessalonica is in the area of Macedonia, or the country, the area of Macedonia. And Paul didn't get to Macedonia until his second missionary journey because he was over there in Asia Minor, traveling around, starting churches, when God gave him a divine call to come over to Macedonia and plant churches there. God sent a vision to him, a dream to pull him over there. So Paul finally crossed over and he started working in Philippi and he shared the gospel there, found a few converts there until they, um, until they persecuted him there. And then Paul went to Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, he had three weekends in a row Three weekends in a row where he was able to do some successful preaching of the gospel and sharing of Jesus. But as that success grew, some of the Jewish people there who did not accept Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, they became jealous of Paul's success he was having. And they began, as you heard in the, in the first reading today, they began stirring up persecution, stirring up a riot against Paul, all kinds of persecution. So they drove Paul out of Thessalonica by force. And so Paul and Timothy and Silas, who were with him, went from Thessalonica down to the little town underneath of Berea, and they start preaching the gospel there. Well, those, those Jewish people who did not like him preaching in Thessalonica, they were still bothered, and so they traveled down to Berea, and they started stirring up persecution and riots against him in Berea. And so then Paul left Berea and went all the way down to Athens. Timothy and Silas stayed behind for a while in Berea. So, as you can kind of see, there was some very um, strong opposition to Christianity in Thessalonica. And down in Athens, 
Paul was greatly concerned that, that this tiny new group of, of new believers, he was concerned that they would not be able to stand up under the pressure of that persecution. And so as soon as Timothy came down from Berea to Athens and joined Paul, Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to check up on those people and see how they were doing. And Paul was a little, he didn't know what Timothy was going to find there. He was probably scared even to to look. There wasn't a lot of chance that there would be any life there in Thessalonica with with that young, that new of Christians, with that much persecution. And so probably was even scared to look. Kind of like every day I would go check that cocoon and kind of scared that I would not find signs of life, not expecting to find it, wishing I would, but kind of afraid that I wouldn't. That had to be kind of the, the fear, but on a much greater level, um, that but Paul had in just wondering what he was going to find in Thessalonica. Well, the report that Timothy brought back from Thessalonica filled Paul's heart with joy. It was good news, wonderful news, because not only did that little, that little Thessalonica congregation, not only did they remain steadfast, not only were they still existing and still alive, but in spite of, in the face of that great persecution they were experiencing, they were actively spreading the gospel of Jesus from the city of Thessalonica all over Macedonia. So like that beautiful moth, they were alive. They were alive and spreading their wings. They were growing. They were thriving. It was a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. It kind of reminds me, you know, a little bit about a city we're a little bit more familiar with. Mississauga. Mississauga is a thriving, growing city. It's a city where people from all around the world live and come and gather. And it's also a city that in which there's a lot of resistance to and a lot of persecution against Christianity and planting Christian churches. It's, 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 it's a city where people uh, follow all kinds of religions, and there's a lot of people who don't want to follow any religions. And there's a lot of re- resistance to Christians living and sharing and practicing their faith. I received a divine call to come and share the gospel in this city. And in the early going, uh, it was slow, was it not? A couple of you who are here, right? You know, it was slow and it was hard and there was a lot of resistance to what we were trying to do. And I'll tell you that Don and I did not throw away our boxes and we did not unpack a lot of our stuff, as you all know, for the first three years. Because as far as we knew, this was just dead, dead as that cocoon. And, and just when it seemed, truly seemed, that this was just going to get shut down, that it, it simply was a dead, failed effort, something that just needed to be thrown away and move on. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, their cross of life was a beautiful thing, spreading its wings, alive, growing. Life, Life in in a place where you would not expect life to be. A beautiful 
beautiful thing. And not just, not just that there was still a church here, but over the years, a church that, in a sense, in its own way, has become a model to many around our church body. A model of what the power of God's Word can do in a place where you wouldn't expect it to do it. And now, the, as you know, many of you know, the soccer camp that was pioneered here has now blossomed into hundreds of soccer camps, March break camps, and all kinds of camps around our church body. In fact, I'm leaving tomorrow for the 11th straight year to go and speak to senior students at our university about the kind of methods and strategies we've found to work in a place like this to share the gospel. We, uh, dozens of faith and, action, faith and action workers continually are sent to our church year after year, of course, to help us carry out our programs, but also because they want them to be serving alongside of you. Run our ninth intern who has been sent here because they think it's a good thing that he is learning ministry in this setting. And so like Paul and Silas and Timothy, Kevin and I are filled with joy and thankfulness to God for what God is doing here. This is a beautiful thing. So that kind of joy and relief prompted Paul, the Apostle Paul, to write a letter to the Thessalonians. So he first of all expressed thankfulness thankfulness. He was filled with thankfulness and expressed that thankfulness for the growth and life and faithfulness that God's word had produced in the Thessalonians. And then in his letter, he's going to encourage them. He's going to continue encouraging them in the way that Timothy had been doing in person up at the congregation. So to keep encouraging them to be growing. So together now with Silas and Timothy, Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians and he rejoices that they have become a model of faith to the believers around them. A model of faith. A beautiful thing. So let's dive in. Verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Notice, let's just stop right there. Notice they were in God. This church was in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have all this persecution going on outside of them, all right? Outside of them, there's all this persecution coming at them, yet they remained steadfast. They remained faithful. Because they not only have like this outward connection with God, they were in God. That maybe that persecution, that suffering had drawn them closer, but they were in God, and they lived as though they were in God. As they could not be affected, they could not be harmed, they could not be bothered by the persecution that was going on around them. So that's our first point for, for today. Um, it is a blessing to be in God. To be in God. Being in God because we have been brought to faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. When you're baptized, you're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are being brought into his family, adopted into his family. And so we are in God. And if we are in God, think about what that means. If we are in God, nothing can harm us. Nothing can harm us. Nothing can take us away from his love. That love that he has for us, nothing can take us away from that. And if we are in God, we will live 
like God. We will live the way that he would have us live because we are in God. We are in that realm. Think of how different that would be if we only live as though we have an outward connection with God. If, if we live like we only have an outward connection with God, like, like, he, like we're here and, and God is over there or God is up there, and it's just this kind of outward connection like you see, you know, someone leading a dog around on a leash or something, like there's just an outward connection. If we live that way, it changes the way that we live, doesn't it? If, if God is just over there or up there or out there, now we start treating him like a vending machine, right? We go to him when we want something. We put a little something in, we get a little something out. We, we talk to him when we need his help. We think about him only from time to time. And when he is just out there, up there, over there, he really has no bearing, no real influence on our life or on the way that we live our life. Outside connection. And ultimately, we quickly get swept away with hardships, swept away uh, with persecution, and swept away with temptations. So it is a blessing to be in God. Let's remember how blessed we are to be in God because we are in God. So let's live as though we are in God. And let's remember that we are in God and live according to that way. Not that God is over there, up there with this kind of loose connection, but that we are in him, that we are part of his family. That changes the way we live. It changes the way we respond to persecution. It changes the way we handle situations. We address problems. We make decisions and on and on and on. We are in God. Verses 2 and 3. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, some great things were happening in the Thessalonians' lives that made Paul very thankful. Their Christian work, labor, and endurance. It was work produced by faith. So the word, their love, the way they loved each other, the way they helped each other out, all the good works that they did was produced by the faith that God had given them in Jesus as their Savior. That was what produced is those works. All right? Their labor was prompted by love. So the labor, um, all they did to, to move the mission forward, to share Jesus, to live that kind of life, was prompted by God's love because God loved them. They wanted to share that love with others. And their endurance, the way that they made it through all that persecution, the way that they, um, they kept faithful in spite of the, the, the pushback they were receiving, inspired by hope. Inspired by the, the, the hope that they're waiting for. They knew that it's going to get better. Jesus is coming again. There's going to be a good ending to all of this. Okay? I see these things in your lives, and I give thanks for that. I rejoice in that, and I thank God for that. I have seen your work produced by your faith because you have faith in Jesus. I've seen the way that you, that you help. That you, that you care for those who, who are in need. That, that you help those who need help. That, that you show this loving concern with each other. I thank God when I see that. It's beautiful. I've seen your, your labor prompted by love. There are a lot of you here at 8 a.m. this morning, as you are every Sunday morning, and you'll be here till 1, and every, 
every Sunday, all the work that goes into just putting this on, let alone the, the endless dedicated service you give to putting um, camps on, ministries, programs, etc., etc. That labor is prompted because God loves you. That's why you do that. And your, your endurance that you continue to look forward about what's coming even when times are hard, even when marriages aren't going well, even when things are difficult. I rejoice in that. But we can always grow in these things, can't we? Right? We can all always grow in these things. And notice how it works. You see how it works? If you want to grow in one, you need the other. Right? If, if you want to grow in how you live as a Christian, how you live, how you endure, you need to grow in faith, love, and hope. It doesn't work the other way around. You can't just, well, I just want to get more, you know, endurance going here, so I'm just going to work harder. Or, you know, I just want to work more at church or serve more, so I'm just going to dig in, get up earlier. Like, that isn't going to work. If you want to grow in how you live your life, in how you handle hardships, in how you uh, keep your focus, in how you make decisions, in how you live a life that blesses others, you need to go in faith and hope and love. It, it starts by growing there. We need to be growing in hope. The order is important. And so there's our second point. If you want to grow, you have to eat. Okay, that caterpillar needed to eat all those leaves I put in there. He needed that to make all the rest of that happen. He needed to eat the leaves uh, to spin the cocoon to grow into that beautiful moth. Um, if, if you're going to perform, if you're going to exert energy, you need fuel. Uh, we did some skiing this past week. I, I didn't realize, uh, it, I'd forgotten maybe, and I was a 45-year-old, I'd forgotten how much energy, how much uh, you have to exert to ski mountains. And um, so we needed fuel, a lot of it in the morning, and you were hungry at night, right? Whenever you work hard or, you know, whether you play a sport or you work a hard day of work or exert a lot of energy in some way, shape, or form, you need fuel, right? If you want to grow as a child, you need to eat. If you want to grow as a child of God, you need to eat. You need to feed on the Word. You need to grow in hope. That's why we call our, our uh, first Bible study Growing in Hope. It's a great Bible study. If you haven't taken it, do that. And we're starting up a new thing next week. Growing in hope. Because we grow in the Word. We grow in our understanding of who God is and what He's done for us. And that grows in our hope. And when you grow in hope, it starts changing the way that you live as a child of God you want to grow you have to eat verses four and five continuing on for we know brothers loved by god that he has chosen you that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power with the holy spirit and with deep conviction you know how we lived among you for your sake. So all this beautiful stuff, all this wonderful growth, the Thessalonians that I see in your life, their lives, um, it causes us to rejoice. It causes Paul to rejoice. It can also cause us to brag. Can it? That's the danger here, right? It also can lead to self-righteous pride. Oh, look how great we are. Look how awesome our church is. Look what we're doing. 
right, can lead to pride. Look, look what a good person I am. I was here at 8 this morning, you know, setting up. Uh, I've, I've, here, I've done five things for Cross of Life this, you know, right? You see how it leads to pride. It can lead to um, self-righteousness. It can lead us to brag. But I want you to notice something. God chose us. God chose us. God changed us with his Holy Spirit, with his word, with his power. We didn't do this. And so there's our third point. The enemy of growth is pride. This beautiful life, this growth, whatever is going on here as a church, whatever was going on in Thessalonica, this isn't our accomplishment. None of this is our accomplishment. None of this is because we, you know, picked ourselves up and, 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 and you know, worked all night and burned the candle at both ends or whatever. None of that is because of that. God did this, period. He gets all glory. He gets all praise. He gets all thanks because God did this. God is one who has loved you. God is one who has chosen you. Think about that. He chose you. So when you're being hard-pressed, when you're being persecuted, when your faith is low, remember this. God has chosen you. He chose you, and he loved you. And, and, and may, may that pick you up. Nothing can take you away from him, from his love for you. And this is agape love. We've talked about this before. Um, this is the kind of love God loves you even when you don't deserve it. God loves you when there is no reason to love you. That's the kind of love that God, God, God chose you. He did that. And God loves you. He's doing that. He's loving you when there's no reason to love you. So God doesn't love you because you're so awesome because you work so hard for him. God doesn't bless our congregation because we work so hard. God blesses us. God loves you even though there's no reason to love you. That's the kind of love we have. That's what God did for us by choosing us. There's no room for pride there. There's no room for, oh, look how great we are there. Verses 6 to 8. Let's keep going on there. Because it tells us what the purpose is that he chose them for. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. So God chose them for this very purpose, to let God's message ring out through their words, through their lives, in spite of the persecution, that it would just ring out to everyone they met. So, God makes all things, even suffering, work for the good of those who love him. And they understood that. So they endured suffering and they rejoiced in their suffering. And they imitated Paul when they were doing that. They imitated Jesus when they were doing that because Jesus rejoiced in suffering. Jesus was filled with joy to suffer for us. And when you know that, when you remember that, then you can rejoice in your sufferings too. And if if you're undergoing, if, if you are undergoing suffering right now, I pray that that gives you hope. To know that Jesus, that others have gone through suffering before you, but most of all that Jesus went through suffering for you. And the suffering that God puts us through always will have a purpose, that his name might be honored and glorified. So they became a model of faith to everyone around them. 
So as, as they grew in their faith, as they imitated Jesus, as they imitated Paul, they became a model. Or actually, what it says there is they left a mark on the world around them. They left a mark. They became noticed. They became a model for all the believers around them. And, and it wasn't only in the, 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 the area right around them, but actually throughout the entire Christian church. I mean, we're still encouraged by them today, right? They're still a model for us today. So their city was at this key location, as we are showing before. And so people, there are a lot of people passing through there. And as they were passing through there, they were seeing their devotion. And that word went out. The people that were passing through were impressed by the devotion they had in spite of all of that persecution. And then he gives us a picture here. They were like a bell ringing loud and clear. The message rang out for them. So they were like a bell ringing loud and clear. A, a bell ringing out with God's word. Re, ringing out with the gospel of Jesus. Now when you hear a bell ring, it gets your attention, doesn't it? Right? And there, there's a lot of kinds of bells maybe we think about. Maybe it's your alarm clock in the morning. Gets your attention. Or a, a school bell. Or a church bell. Or just notifications on your phone, whatever kind of ringing bell you have there. But when we hear a bell, it gets our attention. They were a bell ringing out with the message of God. Are you a ringing bell? Are you a ringing bell? Do your neighbors hear it? Are we as a congregation a ringing bell? Does our community hear it? Do, are, we, are we a model? Are we making a mark in our community? Are, are we a model uh, whom visitors and guests to our congregation want to imitate and want to join and want to become part of? Let's finish off our, our next, the last three verses for our text, 8 to 10. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So, Whenever Paul talked with someone who had been to Thessalonica, he didn't have to say anything about the miracle that God had performed there. Because before Paul could even open up his mouth and start talking about it, that visitor would give Paul a complete report about what had happened there. So instead of Paul, you know, kind of telling them about the church he planted there, this visitor to there would tell Paul about the church that had been planted there. And, and they weren't just talking about what a great church it was. Uh, they weren't just talking about how nice the people were. And they weren't even just talking about how great the, the doctrine and teaching was or how great their acts of love and, and service were. They were talking about how these people, about how these people from Thessalonica had been turned from idols to serve the true and living God. They were talking about how these people from Thessalonica were waiting for 
Jesus. Who God had raised from the dead and who had rescued them from the coming wrath. So they had been, they were talking about how they had been turned from idols and had no regrets about leaving them behind. They, they had no second thoughts about the, the sinful pleasures they had left behind. They, they weren't longing for, for wealth or fame or even, or even a break from the persecution. They were longing for Jesus. They were waiting for Jesus. They had Jesus, and they wanted to serve the true and living God. So the visitors, the, the, the people who met the Thessalonians were telling Paul back the story of the gospel. That was their impression. That's what they were telling Paul about because they had been at that Thessalonian church. <laughs> I want us to be that kind of church. I want us to be that kind of church. That, that if, if I met someone out there somewhere, if I met someone out there who had visited here, that um, they wouldn't talk about how, what a great church it was or how friendly the people were, what, what a great setup it was, or uh, you know, maybe how they enjoyed the, the worship service or the message or the great uh, treats out front. But that they'd tell me the story of Jesus. They would tell me about Jesus who was born in Bethlehem and died on Calvary and was raised to life again to rescue us. They would tell me back the story of Jesus. And they would tell me that because that is what overwhelmed them about you. My, uh, my favorite part every year about soccer camp is somewhere in the middle of the week, well, I'll, I'll go and talk to some parents and just say, you know, how, are, how is the soccer camp going or how are the kids liking it? And they will tell me back a story about Jesus that their kids told them. Now that's just a little, that's a microcosm, I guess, of the dream that I have for this congregation. That when, that when people would meet us, the thing that would impress them about us, the thing that would change their lives about us is how Jesus has changed us. And that, that with all, all the other things are, are great and fine and the way we do ministries and all that kind of stuff, but just that they would come walking out of here going, isn't Jesus great? Not isn't cross of life great, you know, but isn't Jesus great? That is making the name of Jesus great. That is making God's name great. Which is what we're all about. That's my dream. That's my hope. That's my prayer for this congregation. So our fourth point is this. Help our reputation be the right one. Help our reputation be the right one. If, if I met people who met one of you and the first thing they told me about you is that Jesus had rescued you from your sins, that Jesus, that you've been rescued by Jesus, that would bring a smile to my face. That would bring a smile to my face. Um, so let's all, individually and collectively, let's help the reputation we give be the right one. Let's help that reputation be the right one. Um, we can be the church who's known for this or known for that, but this, this is what I want this church to be known for. 
that when people come into contact with us, they come in contact with Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is, he is the rescuer that we all need. We all needed Jesus to come and rescue us. He came to rescue us not just from uh, persecution. He came to rescue us from God's wrath. And he rescued us from God's wrath with his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. The ultimate beautiful thing. The ultimate beautiful thing. There could be nothing more beautiful than for us to imitate that Thessalonian model. That when, when, when people uh, coming through here, people heading out all over the world, when they think about us, and, and um, when, when talking about us, would be talking about how Jesus rescued us from God's wrath and through the power of the Holy Spirit turned us from idols to serve the true and living God. Does that sound like a good goal? That that's what our congregation should be about? If so, then let's grow toward that goal. Let's grow toward that goal. That would be a beautiful thing. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.